0: This morning I want to preach on the topic of being ambassadors for Christ, ambassadors for Christ. Um, Several weeks ago, in fact over the last year, but especially over the last few weeks, I've requested prayer from you that God would give me opportunities to share the gospel. And God is answering those prayer requests, just so you know. Several times in the last week I got to share my faith a little bit and uh, go into some details. One for over 20 minutes, another one for a few minutes, And so every opportunity that God's given me, I'm trying to walk through that door for God to work and to see people come to a saving knowledge of Him. But here's what I've realized so far, is that the more aware I am of those around me, the greater the burden becomes to share my faith with them. I don't want these series of messages to become old hat. I don't want them to be, okay, Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, wore it out, we're all good now. It should never get that way. And so this week, God burned my heart for a friend that I grew up with. And um, so I decided to uh, head to Facebook, where the only places that you can have a conversation with. And I did not get a conversation yet, but here's what I realized. Is that my friend that I grew up with, who went to church every week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday youth activities, Saturday work days, lived at church just like I did for years and years and years. Because of frustration in their parents' lives and ministry, they've all but turned their back on God. They went from being involved in Christian school ministry to really living for the world. And as I'm reading the Facebook posts that my friend was placing on there week after week after week, my heart was breaking. Because this is a guy who had the same experiences, quote unquote, that I had. Same opportunities that I, quote unquote, had. And has just all but turned his back on God. He basically has posts saying that Christianity is a joke. If you want to believe those fairy tales, go for it. It's your choice. It's a disease, a cult. All these things, I'm sitting there going, man, how do you even reach into that? But my heart was breaking, because we all know that one of a couple things is true. Either A, he went through the motions as a kid growing up, the same motions I went through. And he has walked away from God and has renounced his faith or said it's not important to me anymore or I don't want anything to do with it anymore. Because I know that there was a profession of faith. I know that there was a public baptism. Not that that is the telltale sign of one being a Christian, but it kind of goes in the flow of it. Or he never really had Christ to begin with. A very possible explanation for it all. But I think often that's the world we live in, is it not? Isn't that the world we live in? People thinking Christianity is a joke, it's a fairy tale. Believe that nonsense if you want to. But here's the deal Has anything changed? in his life in the last several years that would make me all of a sudden get upset about it no he's living life as norm then why all of a sudden now is it bothering me because God is burdening my heart to see people saved so now all of a sudden I'm not just looking at him as well oh well he walked away from it now I'm looking at him it, like how can I reach him How can I be used of God to influence him? How can I have an opportunity to project truth into his life? How can I do that? That's the burden. And so it seems like, to me, this is just my own opinion, is that the more I'm praying about it, the more I'm making it a focal point, the more I can't escape what God is asking me to do. You say, well, that's great for you, pastor. That's wonderful for you. I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, I'm glad you have that emphasis. I'm glad God's working in your heart that way. But let me just say this. Isn't that for all of us? Come on now. Isn't it for all of us? Should be. Should be for all of us. But why isn't it? Man, I hope and I'm praying that God would change the heart of our church and give us a desire to see the world through His eyes so that we too can be used of God to impart at least seeds of faith to those that we come in contact with. As we said in this little kind of not-so-cheesy phrase, caring, sharing starts with caring. Until you care, you're not going to share. So again, challenge you. So for the past several weeks we've been looking at all at the call for every believer to be witnesses for Jesus Christ and I'm amazed at the sheer amount of discussion that God's word regarding this subject gives us. And I'm thankful that I get to be a part that we get to be a part of what God is doing. So I would like to look at a passage of scripture that I will be preaching on today from a little bit different perspective. I would like to share with you 14 phrases and key words from one verse in our text. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but I want us all to stand for a moment. Let's so all stand. And I want us to read this together so we're all on the same page. And you see that there are 14 words or phrases. Now then, we are ambassadors, that's a phrase, for Christ is a phrase, as though is a phrase, God is a word. We're pleading is a phrase, through us is a phrase, we is a word, implore you is a phrase, on Christ's behalf is a phrase, be reconciled is a phrase, to God is a phrase. Fourteen different phrases and key words. Have you ever looked at scripture in terms of key words and phrases? So often it's easy because we know we're supposed to have this relationship with God that we're just going to simply read it. And we just kind of read through it, next, 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 verse, verse after verse after verse. But how does God want us to view this? Shouldn't we kind of look at it as, man, there's some things that really apply. There's some things that really jump off the page. There's some key phrases and thoughts and words that God is placing that we might get them. So let's together read this out loud, and I don't want you to just emphasize Maybe something that stands off the page to you. So let's read it together. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. One more time. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then, we our ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Lord Jesus, work in our hearts, we pray this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, I want us to think of this verse this morning in terms of 14 phrases or key words that really each have a message in them. So hopefully as we get through it, we'll kind of have the idea that, man, God is speaking to us. God is wanting us to take this to heart. This message belongs to us, and we're to live it out in our lives. So let's just look at the very first word there. It says, now, then. Is the first phrase. What does the words now, then mean? Every once in a while, we'll see a couple of words that really suggest something else. For example, in Colossians, it says, if then you'd be risen with Christ. So if then is a what? It's a statement of condition. Uh, If you see a wherefore, see what it's there for. So when you see the words wherefore, you, you look back and you see what was leading up to this point where he says wherefore. So when we come to the words now then, you look back. In light of what he is saying, now what is he telling us to do in light of what we've heard? So now then is a phrase that simply means after everything you have heard. After all the things that we have just said to you, so let's take that. What has the church at Corinth heard? Well, we can find out by looking back at chapter 5, verse 12. So beginning of verse 12 says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So it's like you're saved, but you still need to hear this. He says, just because you might have been saved doesn't mean that it's all done and over with. He says, you have to realize that Christ did die for all of us. And well, that's true, but we're not just going to stop here and say, well, hey, I got this salvation. I'm done. I'm good. I'm over. It's over with. no. We build on the fact of what Jesus Christ is doing in our lives. So it's not like, well, you're saved, but still others need to hear. So you no longer are living for yourselves. He goes on to say in verse 17 and, uh, uh, 14 and 15. So he says, for the love of Christ compels us. The bottom line is what compels us to share what we've got. That's a huge, huge thought there. Because all over the Gospels, he talks about our love being equated with obedience. And so, we could often say that the opposite is true as well. If we're not being obedient, it must, not, it must be because we're not really loving him as we ought. You say, well, I love him. Well, then it has to be proven through our obedience. Because they're equated one with the other. So he says, for the love of Christ compels me. And I dare tell you, say this to you, that if we don't love somebody, we're not going to do anything for them. Not out of the right heart, anyway. Love is a motivating factor for our obedience. I love him because he first loved us. He says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commands. Over and over, he equates love with obedience. So you can no longer look at everyone around you the same way, because we've been given an opportunity to know Jesus Christ And so we don't take that for granted. We don't take it flippantly. We now look at the world in a different light. There's something that has come into our life, and we shouldn't be the same anymore, right? So you're a new creation. So he says that in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now stop right there just for a moment. If I can claim the name of Christ and nothing changes... Do I have Christ? Probably not. You say, well, Pastor, that's awfully harsh. Right, but I didn't make the ground rules. God did. So if there's no change, you have to wonder if you really got them. So if Christ has influenced our life, if Christ has changed our life, everything's different. In fact, God's Word talks about them. We talk about it every time we do a baptismal service, is that the old man is crucified. Everything of That that characterizes me before Christ came into my life is put to death. And as I come up out of the water, I'm walking in newness of life. That means I have a new life. Everything is different. I have a new purpose, a new direction, a new goal. Everything changes. Because we're a new creation. We're not the same. We're not like everyone else. We have a different foundation that we're standing on, right? So he says, now then in light of everything you've heard, we. It's the second word. We. Who's talking here? Paul and Timothy specifically. Because you go back to the beginning of the book and you find out that Timothy is with Paul on this trip. And you find out and he says, Paul and Timothy are standing before this church at Corinth and he says, we. But really, when it comes down to it, practically speaking, who's the we? Us. In fact, specifically, it's anyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you know Jesus Christ, you put your faith and trust in him, you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're the we here. You're the ones that he's talking about. We, we who have the standing in Jesus, we who have the hope of heaven, we who have put our faith and trust in him, we, that's you and I. Every one of us, no exceptions unless you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, he's not talking to you. But if you do, he's talking to you. Then they go to number three. Now then, we, then third phrase, are ambassadors. Now I've heard this phrase a million times growing up. You're an ambassador. In fact, there are many ministries that are named after this verse. Ambassadors for Christ International. Ambassadors for Jesus we are his ambassadors.com. I mean there's there's a million ministries that have the word ambassador in it because it implies something. So he says in our text here, now then we are ambassadors. Let me give you a few definitions or synonyms of the word ambassador. And I thought each of these are unique, all speaking to the same thought, but unique in and of themselves. So an ambassador is first of all a representative An ambassador is a representative of one nation to another. It just so happens to be that as Christ's children, we are ambassadors of Christ. You represent a home that is not here on this earth. You are given a citizenship according to Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. It says our citizenship is in where? Heaven. The bottom line is this is a temporary pass-through ground. And whether you live here to be 8 years or 18 years or 38 years or 108 years, it is just temporary. You're just a little on a line of eternity. A little speck, a little dot. What are you doing with your dash, so to speak, as someone put it once? Your time frame here on this earth. What are you doing with it? Is it just to survive? Is it just really just to get up you know, to grow older, to get married, to go to school, to get a job, to have an income, to buy a house, to buy a car, to work for 40 years, to retire, to have some grandkids, and then, <clears throat> done. I mean, isn't it more than that? Hopefully. If we lose our purpose, if we lose the vision for which God has created us, that's all it is. And if that's all it is, why bother? It's going to end. This is all going to end. One day we're going to walk out and it's going to be the last of our breath. And if that's all we have to live for is just the stuff, we might as well just quit now. Because it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better. Does anybody realize that? It's not getting better. Pastor, you're a doomsday guy. Well, no, I'm just reality. This is not home. And as much as I love Chevy trucks, I won't be driving one in heaven. I don't think anyway. Maybe, because God is for Chevys. No, it's kidding. Representative of Christ, it literally also means sent with high rank. In other words, you're not Joe Schmo. You're not just guy on the street. You're not just girl in the auditorium. You are sent with high rank. An ambassador has rank. You ever thought about that? I mean, it's not just like a representative from America is going over to you know, Mexico and saying, hey, I want you to know that, hey, I got some things for you to think about. Just sit down and listen to me. Who are you? I'm nobody, but you know, bottom line, I, just, I want you to hear me out here. I got some thoughts and opinions I want you to. You see, if I'm not sent, and I'm not given authority or rank, I've got nothing to say that they want to listen to. Right? Is that making sense? See, an ambassador is a representative sent with rank. Number three, it's a position of honor, trust, skill, and discernment. Think about that. Not just anybody could be an ambassador. See, it's often required of an ambassador that he learns the culture to which he's working in. He has to learn sometimes the language. He learns how they operate, how they think. Do they operate left brain, right brain? Do they... How do, they, how do they process information? Because every country does it different. But he learns the culture and the tradition and the foundation of the country that he's working in. So it is a position of honor. You are chosen to go to this country to represent us. And we know that you're going to operate with trust and skill and discernment. As you negotiate and you plead and you bring to fruition that which you are called to do, it's no different with Christ. You see, if we are His ambassadors, we learn everything that there is to learn about Him, right? It doesn't matter about who we are, because remember in First Peter, he says, the Word of God is not of any private interpretation. My opinion, my belief, my experiences, my prejudices, it doesn't matter. It's what God's word says that's important. So this is what we learn so that we can be a good ambassador of the one who has sent us. Then number four in the underneath ambassadors is that he's doing business for the king, not himself. You see, an ambassador doesn't go over there and say, Wow, I got this position. I wonder how I can manipulate it to help my own business back in the States. Hmm. I'm in the trades business. Maybe I can open some doors and, yeah, you know, some of that junk takes place. But if he's an ambassador for Jesus Christ, he's doing business on behalf of the king. He's doing business for his master. And then finally, he supports the king's causes. See, he doesn't go over there with his own message this message is nothing. Big deal. But when you carry the king's message, that's a big deal. So when Paul and Timothy really saying all of us are ambassadors, he's saying you're a representative of Christ, sent with high rank, given a position of honor, trust, skill, and discernment, doing business for the king, and supporting his causes. You're an ambassador for the Jesus Christ. Have you ever taken that serious? That God has given you a position of honor? He says that you're a peculiar people, a chosen race, a chosen generation. Why? Because you've got a message that is phenomenal. A message that has the ability to change people's lives. And then he says, ambassadors for Christ, not for ourselves, not for our friends, not for our company, not for our employer, but for Christ. In 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12, he says this. And I love this because I had this verse on my wall for years. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. What a privilege it is. That's a privilege. Is that verse just for full-time laborers in Christ? No, it's for all of us. You have a ministry. And it's the ministry of reconciliation. Every one of you that know Jesus Christ, you're in ministry. I love this. And I thank Christ Jesus, the Lord, who has enabled me, who has enabled us. Because he counted us, me, faithful, putting me into the ministry Despite your past, I love this, what, Paul, or what Timothy says here. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor. I'm sorry, Paul as he's talking to Timothy. persecuting and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It matters what you're doing now since Jesus Christ has come into your life. I gave a quote last week, and I think it's probably pretty accurate. 95% of people who attend church on a regular basis have never shared their faith outside of a church wall. 95%. I would challenge somebody to prove me that wrong. Folks, we got to do it. You're in ministry for the Lord. And then he says, number five, now then, we... Are ambassadors for Christ, as though. Is that a unique word? Yeah, it, that's a pretty unique phrase. As though. What does it mean? It means just like. Just like. He says you're ambassadors, just like God. Next word. He himself. God. Just like God we're here doing this. Isn't that what he's saying? You're ambassadors for Christ. Just like God. He himself. Now next to this next one, number seven. We're pleading. What does the word plead mean? Some of you know this real well because you've asked your kids to clean the room. You've pleaded with them. You've begged them. Straighten up this mess. Can't even walk in here. And you've begged them, you've pleaded them, you've implored to them, get this thing cleaned up. Some of you have even threatened them. Take the trash out. Do this, do that. You plead. You've pled, you've, you've done everything you can. But the pleading, and we'll come back to this one more time, we're pleading it's imploring beseeching begging wait a minute is god doing the pleading though in this verse look at the next phrase what's the next phrase through us there's the we again that's where paul and timothy were standing before the church of corinthians and really all of us who know jesus christ he says it's as though god is pleading Through us, who know him. God wants to use you. Think about that. God speaking through you. And not just speaking, imploring, begging, pleading. Because he needs us? No. He doesn't need us. I mean... If God can use the foolishness of preaching, He doesn't need us. But He wants to use us. Despite us. He wants to use us. When's the last time we let God speak through us? Pastor, you've been on this for three, four weeks. Come on, let's move on. When I went to uh, my first church... Dale Grossman shared a funny story with me. Dale Grossman came up and he said, "Hey, pastor, I got a joke for you." I'm like, "All right, Dale, let's hear it." Well, you know, this pastor came into the church and well, he's all excited. I mean, he moved here, you know, got unloaded, and he's got his boxes. You know, they're still all around the house, but you know, he's you know, all, everyone's all excited. First Sunday in the new church, and they can't wait to hear what God's laid on his heart to share with everybody. So he gets up there Sunday morning, opens his Bible, and he preaches, and everyone's all encouraged. You know, they got this new pastor who's full of life, full of energy, and boy, he's just preaching his heart out. the end of the service, everybody's coming by, shaking his hand. The pastor has such a good message. It's encouraging, you know, thank, thank God for coming our way and for being our pastor, and you know, pastor's very gracious, and you know, and pretty soon everyone's gone, and lights go off, doors shut, and Next week, pastor comes back and he says, "Open your Bibles." And there's a few perceptive ones, and they're like scratching their head. Isn't that where he told us to go last week? Hmm. Okay. Well, so they open their Bible, and it's not long before he realize that pastor is preaching the exact same message second week in a row. I mean, he's got the same text, the same illustrations, the same examples, same emphasis on the same parts of the verses. I mean, it's the same exact message. And a couple of the guys were like, eh, you know, he's he's new in town, you know, he's still got some boxes laying around the house. He's probably been pretty busy, you know. Eh, you know, but they kind of cordially, after the service is over, they go up, they shake his hey, hand, Pastor, that was a good message. You know, appreciate the word you brought to us today, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And pretty soon people are out the doors, lights are out, doors locked, and third week. Pastor comes in, he's all excited, and it's like he's got God's made a message on his heart, and he says, Open your Bibles, and everybody opens their Bible to the same text. Three weeks in a row. And by this point, everybody's wondering, what in the world is going on? I mean, I know, I mean, this this guy came by good recommendation, and he has a good preacher, and you know, well, we really enjoyed the message, but three weeks in a row? And the guys are just starting to scratch their head and say, well, what's going on? Because, you know, you know, first couple weeks we understand you're new in town, you still got boxes laying around, but by week three you got the boxes picked up, and you got things put away, and well, a couple of the elders of the church decided to, hey, pa- Pastor, come on over here a little bit. I pulled him aside and they said, Pastor, you know, we, we really appreciate you coming here. We really enjoy your message. And uh, we know you've been busy the last couple of weeks unload, unloading the boxes and putting everything away. And, but just can't help but notice that you've, you, you've preached the same message three weeks in a row. Can you kind of tell us what's going on? He says, oh, it's easy. He says, I can tell you exactly what's going on. He said, you know, we learn by reputation. He said, as soon as you get that one down, I'll give you a new one. I was like, Pastor, are you going to preach on salvation for the next six weeks? I might. But See, we have not obeyed until we put into practice what we've learned. Thank you. Thank you. See, the biggest danger we face at times is that we've heard that before. We've heard it before. But has anything changed? Has anything changed? And Paul and Timothy says, all of us who know Jesus Christ, we've got a message to share. Not only do we have a message to share, we should be sharing it. So looking at our text once again, he says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though... God were pleading through us. So he says, We, Paul and Timothy, all of us who know Jesus Christ, implore. There's an interesting one. Implore. We said we'd come back to that word again. It still means to beg, it still means to encourage, it still means to plead. And let me give you an example of the exact same word in Scripture. Turn, keep your finger there in 2 Corinthians, but turn over to Luke chapter 5 just for a moment. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 5. I'm sorry, verse 12. That's not right. Okay, wrong reference, but I'm going to tell you because you'll know it. The leprosy verse. How did I lose that? 5 verse 12, did I say it right? No. Oh, I'm in 4.12, duh. It makes a difference. Chapter 5, verse 12. There we go, let's try this again. So then it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying... Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, get the picture here just for a moment. Here's a man with leprosy. What's he doing to Jesus? Imploring. He's begging. He's pleading. For what? Hmm? Healing. You see... Do you think the man with leprosy was for real? Do you think he really wanted to be healed? Yeah! Because he knows that if he gets healed, it's going to change his life, right? Do you realize that this is the exact same word that Paul and Timothy is using here in 2 Corinthians 5? This word, implore? Just as though this man is pleading for healing. He says, we're pleading to you. because just like the leprosy being taken away will change his life, so will be trusting in Jesus Christ change the recipient's life. He says, we're begging you. Same exact word. And I'm going to come back to it just for a moment. So he says, let get back to my text here. Now then, we our ambassadors for Christ as though just like God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. Now, here's an interesting thing here. You. Who's you? In fact, he doesn't really say you in the verse, does he? He says on Christ's Behalf, be. Where's the you from? It's implied. It's understood you. It's implied that you, and who's the you generically? Anyone who does not know Jesus. So we've been given a ministry to let God speak through us with urgency to anyone who does not know Jesus Christ to come to Jesus Christ, right? Right? So he says, you who do not yet know Jesus Christ, you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. Now here's an interesting meaning behind reconciled. See, we're going in his authority, be reconciled to God. We're going in his authority, on Christ, because it's on Christ's behalf. It's a second heiress passive imperative, which in Greek means nothing to any of you. I just tell you, it's a second heiress passive imperative. But let me tell you what it means. Do it now. Do it now. That's what it means. It means there must be urgency. Do it now while it's on your mind. Do it now while you're thinking about it. Do it now as you're reminded of it. Be reconciled. It's an imperative. Do it before it's too late. In Romans chapter 5, keep your fingers there in 2 Corinthians, but turn over Romans chapter 5 for a moment. I want to read a few verses here. Verses 6 through 11. It says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. There's that word again. Reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In some of your translations, it says ministry of reconciliation. You have the ministry of reconciliation. Bringing God, others to God, it means literally to restore. In fact, keeping your hand in Second Corinthians, turn back to uh, Matthew chapter five. We're almost through. Matthew chapter five, and I want to read verses twenty-one through twenty-five, beginning with verse twenty-one. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger <clears throat> of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the elder and go your way. First, be what? Reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I want you to think about that just for a moment. I don't want you to dwell on the idea that if you think in anger towards your brother that you've already committed murder. I want you to get the idea of the picture here, the concept of reconciliation. There are two parties that are at ought that need to be reconciled together. In other words, there's an idea that there is a broken relationship here. And for those who are outside of Christ, it's broken. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages or the The due recompense, the justification for what you've done. The wages of sin is death. That's Speaking of a spiritual death, eternally separated from God, away from heaven, in hell for all eternity. There is a separation. For the wages of sin is death, spiritually separated from God for all eternity. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He didn't leave you without an option to come together with him. We're born in sin. Born separated from God. Born in trespasses and sins. In fact, anything good that we could do, Isaiah 64, 6, all of our righteousnesses, ours what? Filthy rags. There is nothing you can do other than to put your faith and trust in Christ. And then he makes all things new. And he says to God, I'm not bringing you to me. I'm not bringing you to her. I'm not bringing them to them. We're to bring the world who is lost in sin and trespasses to God with a sense of urgency. One more passage I want to look at, Ephesians chapter 2. What is our motivation as believers? Yes, love is a motivation. Verse 1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. We were born there, separated from God. Here's the thing. He talks about this in the past tense. And you he made alive who were, 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 past tense, were dead. On the wrong side, so to speak. Crossed the line. And he invited you over. Among whom also we all, all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. We used to be just like everyone, but no longer. No longer. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. And here's where it ends. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What's the good works? We've got a job, a ministry, a reconciliation. We've got a task to perform. And it's telling others about Jesus. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, these good works. And we have to realize, he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why God? Why not Buddha? Why not... Why not Confucius? Why not anyone else? Acts 4.12 For there is no other name given among men whereby we what? Must be saved. Not every road leads to heaven. Not everyone who does a good deed is going to spend eternity with the Lord. There will be many who say, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name? And he'll say what? Depart from me for I never knew you. So far as I'm concerned... There are two sides to this message this morning. If you've been reconciled to God, you have a restored relationship with Him because you've put your faith and trust in Him, that's wonderful. That's one side. And if you've never done that, you need to do that. Proverbs 27 says, Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We don't have a guarantee of tomorrow I implore you, I plead with you, would you put your trust in Christ? Would you settle that once and for all to truly know Jesus? Not hope, not think, not wish, not just be positive about it, because none of those things will get you into heaven, but to know Him as your Savior. And if you have done that, You have the ministry of reconciliation for God to use you to share that with someone else. I've asked this week after week, are you doing it? Are you doing it? I'm going to close with this kind of humorous story that was kind of neat this week, and I hope and pray that the fellow I talked to is not watching today. I don't think he is, but we'll see. So I'm sitting at a restaurant this this past week, and uh, the, wait, the waiter actually came over and talked to He Goes, I was eavesdropping on you. He goes, I just want you know, I, I I'd love to talk to you. You so you're a filmmaker? Filmmaker? <laughs> nope. Oh, he goes, oh man, I guess I've been listening to you. He Goes, I thought you were a filmmaker. I'm like, dude, I'm not a filmmaker. Trust me. <laughs> but it was kind of humorous. He goes, well, what what are you? I said, well, I'm a pastor. He goes. He goes, man, I hate organized religion. And I leaned forward. I said, I do too. I hate organized religion. I said, organized religion is worthless. <laughs> you're a pastor. Right. And I hate organized religion. I said, man, I don't care if you're church of God, church of Christ, Lutheran, Baptist, Hindu, Confucian, whatever. I don't care what you are. I said, those things will not get you anywhere. He's kind of looking at me like... And I said, but man, hey, if you want to talk about filmmaking, I said, I'll talk about filmmaking if you'll talk about what I I do for a living. He goes, okay. Pulled up, sat sat down, had had a chair for 20 20, 20 minutes with me. I won't get into everything, but it was really interesting one thing that he said. He said, I want to believe in Jesus, but I just haven't had a good reason to yet. Now let me give you the backstory a little bit. He's a student at Roberts Wesleyan. He had to write a paper as an entrance to the school on the most influential person in his life. So he's telling me about this. Because he said, I've studied a little bit of Christianity. I've read a little bit about Hinduism. I've read a little bit in the Quran. I've read a little bit about this and a little bit about that. He goes, but I had to write a paper on the most influential person in my life. I said, oh, that's cool. I said, what would you write about? He goes, Jesus. And I don't even believe in him. I said, really? I said, how does that work? He goes, well, everywhere I turn, people are talking about Jesus. I can't get away from them. Everywhere I go, people are trying to influence me about Jesus, and I can't get away from them. He goes, I want to believe, but he goes, I just can't yet. He goes, give me a reason. The rest of the conversation went for another five or seven minutes, but here's the thing. I looked at him and said, there's probably a reason why you can't get away from him. (laughs) Just saying. But for 20 minutes, I got to engage him. No, he didn't get saved. Didn't turn his life over. That's not my job. Right? God didn't say you shall make sure someone gets saved. Right? He didn't say that, right? Thankful, because I can't control that. But he has called us to plant some seeds, to walk through the doors of opportunity. Man, I was high as a kite, because that was answered prayer for me. I said, God, give me an opportunity. And then an hour later, after that, I had another opportunity with another young lady to give her a track and to share a couple things in it. Do we even look at this with urgency? Do we even consider the fact that we can walk past people every day of our life and think nothing of engaging a conversation about eternity? Until you care, you won't share. Until you love God enough to do it, you will not be obedient to him to do it. Honestly, the last thing I want to do is stand up here week after week and say, boy, you guys got to do this, and you're No, I, I'm preaching to me, just so you know that. I'm preaching to me because I need to do this more. I've been praying to God to give me opportunities. I'm trying to take every opportunity he gives me, and I find that I'm my biggest obstacle to doing it, me. But I'm just going to take a wild guess that if I struggle with doing it consistently and faithfully, I wonder how many of the rest of us fail to struggle to do it faithfully and consistently. But it has to start with caring enough to do it. It has to start with, I love God enough not to do it. And starting to say, God, give me an opportunity. I hope that in the days ahead, that some of you, many of you will come to me and say, Pastor, I had an opportunity to share my faith this week. Hey pastor, I passed out a few tracks this week and had an opportunity to share one of them. Hey pastor, meet my friend. I just showed him how he could know Jesus. I hope that that's the direction that we're going as a church. If the gospel has changed your life, if putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ has given you hope, then share it with others.